I think I'm going to start a minute early, even though a few people are going to walk in now. But since uh, you're here, I'm going to go back to a number of uh, Shailas, as we mentioned, and a few of the Chagas that we started talking about and didn't finish. We're going to go back to Hanukkah. Some Hanukkah issues, some Perm issues, and uh, some Groundhog Day issues, which we never even began. So uh, before we get to the uh, groundhogs, uh, I've been asked this Shaila a number of times. Is it mutter in any way to go to a viewing? Any scenario? A viewing for the uninitiated is a Gaish custom, very Gaish, where they have the body lying in, uh, what are they called? Lying in state? Is that only for politicians or presidents? They have the. Uh, is that what it's called? Well, it's not do the groundhog. We didn't get to the groundhog yet. Groundhog is. Uh, <laughs> and uh, they have the uh, funeral, and there's an open casket, and everybody walks by. They say goodbye, hello, how nice you look, whatever the case may be. I've heard. I've. I've. They say a prayer. Okay. Okay. They're very religious. Saying family, they say, the okay, because I've heard comments like he looks so nice. I've heard comments like he looked better now than he did his whole life. <laughs> I've heard all sorts of interesting, uh, interesting comments. It's a strange thing to say to the family. He looks better now than he did his whole life. That's pretty insulting. Yeah, they dress them up. They put makeup on, whatever the case may be, and um, yeah, it's pretty. Uh, yeah, very sneeze. And the question is, if it's in a church, we don't go. If it's in a funeral home, it's certainly a Gaisha custom. As we have learned so far, the good news is not every Gaisha custom is an Isidore Hukasayim. Doesn't mean we should run to do it. We certainly don't do it. We believe the body is going to get its kapara and uh, decay, and uh, except for the loose bone. Disappear and we'll be back. And the Neshama is going to go to Shamayim the faster the body decays, actually. That's one of the importance of uh, burying in America. By law, we're forced to bury in a casket. Some people <laughs> do that, some people do it more. And uh, in Etisrael, if you have been to a Levi in Etisrael, it's jarring the first time you see it. An American watching that is that the body goes into the ground. And the body will decay quicker, the vomagain, which won't decay at all. And that's good for the kapara and that's good for the neshama. The neshama stops hanging around, so to speak, for lack of a better expression. And neshama finds mucha to be able to go up and not keep checking on the body. And part of the bahala of the neshama, and why one of the reasons why, besides the pasuk, why we don't delay a burial, we try to do it as quickly as possible, is the neshama has tremendous terror, doesn't know. It's like what do focuses on the body because that's the only thing it knows. And the dinner already starts then, Leilenu, and um, we try to do it as quickly as possible. Covet the Grand Bayamahu is a big Indian that's written by Mrs. Bayston, and we will push it off in America. It's common, the unions, the, the thing closes. It's commonly the next day, and sometimes longer, depending on how much a covet on mace it is for the people who still have to come or want to come, as opposed to balancing, you know, Uncle uh, Schleimi from Detroit. He was a very nice uncle, very close. The question is, do we hold it up for one uncle, two uncles, five cousins? That's a balancing act, and you have to balance the needs of the covered mace who's coming to the Leviah with the needs of the mace and the nifter himself within the Shama. 
and uh, we're balancing it because the Nisham will get a certain amount of nachas from the espadim from the people that come versus the torment of not being buried and that's a, it's a balancing act. We certainly don't let the body lie there so more people can come by and see it stam. And it's a Gaisha custom. So again, if it's in a church, nothing much to discuss. If it's not, we try to shy away from it. If it's the office colleague, which is usually where the shy that comes up, you can send flowers. I'll get them one second. We send flowers, send the card. You stop in, you don't see the viewing. They ask you, come on, can you come see? You bow away. says, you know, it's, I'm Jewish, don't really do it. Or, uh, you know, I, 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 I can't. And hopefully, we'll, then we'll push it and we'll understand. And once in a while, it's World War III. So the question is, what do you do with World War III? So I believe if it's going to be World War III, uh, there's room to be makel, because even though it's a very Gaisha custom, it doesn't fit into the Ramaz Marik, because it's not a pretzus. As a matter of fact, they're quite dressed. It's not rooted in Avarazar, as far as we know, and it's not rooted in Kishuf. Now, remember we said last night, what? Leaving the casket open, dressing him up, and walking by for a viewing. For a for a guy. So I mean, it comes Nebuch with a year also, but uh, that's even worse. Huh? Family's there. It's at a funeral home, not in a church. So you walk in and you talk to them. You don't have to really. They, there's pressure. There's downward pressure to do what when a Rome do as the Romans do and to walk by. You can just, you can just walk by. You don't have to look. Yeah, but it's better not to participate in the custom if it's even a Shiloh who could say him. And there is a Shiloh. Again, I believe according to the Mot's Mutter, according to the guy, which is always the more Machmer Shita, as we discussed last night, can you call it a Dvarshtus? I have an argument even according to the guy. It's not a Dvarshtus. We understand why they're doing it. They want to remember him. They want to say goodbye. I'm not condoning. We don't do this. We clearly don't do this. We're not part of the issue. To say it's a Dvarshtus, that we don't understand the Bechlau. No, no. I'm not, I'm not convinced it's also even according to the Gaian, it's certainly according to Ramah. That's why we don't do it because it's a Gaisha custom, and we Tafka don't do it, but in the face of World War III, a Shailah should be asked. Another comment, there are a lot of... Uh, consider the funeral home like, like a church or Not necessarily. A church, we don't walk into a church as a house of worship. A funeral home is non-denominational. They have atheists. They consider the room as a I don't think so. I think it was non-denominational, like out of town. They have these things where if you're from and you want to do a service there, come in. And if you're a Christian, you say what you want to say. It's not a chesed or a czar. If they have crosses, uh, if they take the crosses out just from the shtender when, you know, and they have mug and David when you want to do an orthodox service, it, it, that's the shayla with the non-dominational prayer rooms and the airports and things like that. It's not a great place to daven, but you're not daven there, you're just stopping in to wish your condolences. And like you just said, they're walking by and muttering some sort of prayer, which is natural for any religion. And you do want to wish the fellow a successful journey and he should rest in peace and all those things. And that's... Nothing wrong with that. Start when they that we don't want to be involved with the prayer because then we're going to have a problem. Is going to be invoking other names. Uh, so again, I'm not encouraging. I'm discouraging uh, the fact that uh, you should feel like you have to go. You should try it any way or form to get out of it. They're sending something or like you're suggesting. If you have to walk in, walk in and say my condolences, and they're going to say please stay. We're walking. Please come by. If you can get out of it, get out of it. I don't believe it's an issue. The right Um There's another custom which has gained a lot of popularity even in the Jewish community, mainly among Russians uh, who are not yet from, and they have pictures on the Matzevis. It's a very, go to Washington Cemetery, and all these days, it's a very common thing. It's become more common because in the olden days, if they ever had pictures, they had to have a guy chiseling it, and it would be a whole production. Here, you just 
Photoshop the thing on from here to there, and yeah, there's a, you know, everything's desktop today, even the Matsavis. And um, it's, it's not that expensive, so people are doing it. Again, it's not a Yiddish custom. We don't do these things, but Dafka, you should not do it. Is it an Issa, the Raisa, with the Chiyah, Malkas, or Chukasayim? Just like we had many surprising things which you thought were Mutter or Asr, we also have things which I believe maybe people think were Asr, are Asr, and I believe they're not Asr al Pidin. This, again, going to Amma, it's not Preacher's Dick. It's not rooted in Avarazar, and it's not rooted in Kishuf. We understand why they're doing it. I don't even think according to the guy, and it's a Dvarshtus. We shouldn't do it, and if they ask you, you should try to talk them out of it. It's not a Yiddish Azach. It doesn't necessarily make it a Chiyam Malkazin as the rice of Hukasayim. And both these come up all the time. And your relatives aren't from it, they want to put the picture. If you can nicely explain, we don't do this, not our minig, fine. Um, putting flowers is, uh, their chuvas on it already, they started doing it again at the time of the Ascala, and they become very upset about it. Same problem, it's not our minig, we dafka don't do it. Push comes to shove, uh, World War III, and uh, major fights in Machlechism, and this and that, uh, losing your job, you want a funeral. Blah, blah. That I'm not convinced uh, you have to take a stand on. We don't, if, you, if you don't know it's Rudin Avarazar, or there's no chashash, you don't have to know, but there's a reasonable chashash. Uh, I, I didn't do the research on the flowers, but um, this is not uh, Shintoism. That's Avarazar. We're not doing it because they're Chinese. They're doing it because it looks nice. So we don't do it. You shouldn't do it. Uh, try to make an attempt to convince your relative out of it. At the end of the day, uh, we shy away from it because of the Ascala and all the importing of all these menhagim. We don't want to copy the Goyim. It doesn't make it Chiyamankas of Chukwaseyam Lezalecha necessarily. Again, try not to misquote this so far. Somebody's going to ask you tomorrow at the office. I heard Rabbi Vina said you can have pictures on the Matseva, flowers in the cemetery, and go for a viewing. Uh, you shouldn't do any of that. Uh, just, uh, just trying to nail down, especially in this sugya. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think uh, we'd be giving Malkus so quickly based on the Gadarm we have, something according to the Ahmad, even according to the Vilna Gun. Now, getting to our little furry friends, the groundhogs. Now, the good news over here, we, we are so involved in all the Chagas between Havdel and Havdel, with the Hanukkah and the Gelt. We'll get back to that soon. I've got a lot, I have a lot, of, uh, a lot of comments along the way I couldn't get to yet. Uh, and the masquerading on Perm, we'll, we'll get to it in Mitzvah Shem tonight or tomorrow or after Pesach. The um, Groundhog Day is an interesting shayla because Valentine's Day is chukasem lesalechu and uh, we don't, that's uh, stick, we don't, that's clearly not a Jewish minig and uh, again, nakar haikola biyadech, if it starts with a saint, it usually is not, not for the Jews. The uh, Groundhog Day, my first kula, before we get to the problem, is that I can't pin any Misa. Most people are not actively uh, taking down the data as he emerges from his hiding place and are not actively involved. So you're not really doing it. There's no Misa over here. With that said, I want to just show you much of what I'm going to read tonight and tomorrow night is not Tarmi Sinai. These are emails sent to me asking the question, but a lot of the research is pretty good. And there are various places on, uh, you know, um, WisconsinReadersDigest.com. Okay, so that's not Tarmi, certainly not Tarmi Sinai. Either is Wikipedia. But a lot of these Chachma uh, Begayim Taimin, they did research, and it's fascinating. And we've had over the last five months, there's a lot of research by the Goyim on their own customs, and a lot of them ended up exactly where, based on our we thought it would end up. We had a Chashash, we didn't have a Razar, and they traced it. Doesn't mean they're always right, doesn't mean it's Tarmi Sinai. 
1969. Some of them I was actually making against their research. Remember the round birthday cake? So they wanted the Tainas after the moon goddess, and that would make serious Yisurim. And um, we all agreed. Sadiq and others said, you know, they researched the old, uh, I think Avram also, he's uh, sort of online over here. He's getting interrupted by phone calls. That the easiest way to bake the natural mold was the round thing, and that's the way you have to go anyway to make it square. So again, you don't want to get into the Shaila, you don't have to have a birthday cake Bechlal, you go to the store, they have a square one, a round one, you want to have a square one, but I believe you, the round one is Mutter, the candles were a different story. So just because they hold this after the moon goddess doesn't mean if there's a very logical, plausible explanation that we have to answer it. There has to be a latest suffix, it can't be a 5% suffix. But some of this research is actually pretty convincing and some of it I think is obvious and when I get to them you'll understand. So Groundhog, the good news is, is if you're actively involved you're not really doing anything. Uh, my argument over here after you finish uh, listening to this is that we shouldn't even be following it. Now most people follow it, laugh at it and they say that's ridiculous and they just listen to it as a human interest story or an animal interest story. There are some people who actually listen with more than just a passing interest. That could be a problem already. If you, if you put any stock in what's going on, and I've heard many people do, say, ah, they don't know for sure, but you know, we got to find out, I'm planning a trip, got to know how cold it's going to be. Like, that's a problem already, if you know the following information. Let me just read part of it. Uh, I mean, you couldn't make this stuff up. It's the, the amount of superstition, the things that are going on, these are national major events. Every year on February 2nd, I remember after this Groundhog, a guy met me a couple of, year, a couple of days later and he asked me, am I going to talk about it? I said, what makes you ask? He said, well, this year was Machalik Zapeskim. There's two famous Groundhogs, one in Pennsylvania and the other one in uh, so know, New York. We'll get to it. Where, where is it? Okay, and they had very different sheetas. Mamish, Nus Rashnaz, Nus Fired. It was wild. I'm just telling you, and this is what, but who follows this? There are 100 million people following it. But there's a, so again, if it's Mamish a joke and you're watching it with amusement, as long as they're not there on site taking pictures, it's you know, it's hard to ask or anything. But if you even have more than a passing interest that and a few people tell me, I don't, I don't really believe it, but you know, you never know. Let's see what they have to say. That's already, it, it, again, if you didn't know what I'm about to read, it wouldn't be a problem at all. But um, I wasn't shocked. Every year, February 2nd, crowds gather at Gobbler's Knob in Pennsylvania to watch a groundhog emerge for the day. You know the drill. If he sees a shadow, bad news, there'll be six more weeks of winter. If he doesn't see a shadow, spring is right around the corner. Gavaldic. In reality, groundhogs don't make the best meteorologists, and poor Phil doesn't have a great track record. As of 2016, he's made the right call 39% of the time. <laughs> That's even worse, worse than the weatherman. That's 39% uh, of the time. That he didn't even break brave. Uh, of course, ridiculous. So how did the bizarre tradition of Groundhog Day get its start? The roots of Groundhog Day aren't as random as they might seem. The beginning of February marks the halfway point between winter, the shortest day of the year, and the spring equinox, when night and day are about the same length. Pagans would celebrate February 1st or 2nd with a festival of light to mark the start of spring. Gaelic legend says that if the goddess uh, Kalich, she should be Michael me if, um, uh, <laughs> if anybody's named after her, not the god, of course, not the goddess, uh, wanted a long winter, she'd make the day bright so she'd have a sunlight to gather more firewood. I don't know why I may want, want a longer winter, but the gods were always fighting. That was the excitement and the total stuss of the whole uh, movement. On a dreary day, she stayed in because spring was on its way. Medieval Christians adapted the festival, so it really started off with pagans, mamish hardcore voters are. Medieval Christians adapt the festival and handed out candles. Everything, whenever there's fire involved, I don't know, they don't have any fire now, so this part they drop. Uh, you always know where it's coming from. The feast day falls 40 days after December 25th, marking the end of the period, this is Reader's Digest, 
when Jewish tradition would have considered Yashka's mother unclean after giving birth. I kid you not. <laughs> this is, I, I mean, you know, you just have to, you get an appreciation of history when you uh, learn this sugya. Uh, it's a crazy, crazy custom. So it's the crazier it is, you have to be cheshes. So this is not surprising at all. Just again, the only good news is if you're not actively involved and you mom don't believe it, you're technically not over in anything. Uh, eventually, Europeans started looking to animals' hibernation patterns on candle mass, which is what this day was called, what the Christians used it as, to predict the weather. Some watched to see if bears would come out of their dens, while the English looked for hedgehogs and the French waited for marmots. You ever hear of that animal? Whatever. Germans, whose tradition said a badger would walk out of the hole, if there was snow, but retreat back inside. If the sun was out, brought the custom to the United States. Pennsylvania Dutch gave it their own twist by replacing badgers with groundhogs. So we have a Stalschuss of the Varm over here, and no allegiance to Messiah. Probably, probably, what? <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's mamish. Uh, probably because the hibernating animals are so common in the Keystone State. Yeah. In 1887, watching for Phil became an official event. 1887. Since then, other cities have started looking for their own groundhogs, like New York, Staten Island, Chuck, and Georgia's General Lee. Whichever furry forecaster is your trusted favorite, this is Cavaldic. There must have been a year who wrote this article, because I, I, I would have put this in. Whichever furry forecaster is your favorite, uh, trusted favorite, cross your fingers for a speedy, shadow-free spring. <laughs> so he puts the thing we started with five months ago and the thing that it, this is a very Gaiusha custom that is rooted in Avodazar. So go figure. The answer is, is that it's bizarre to watch a groundhog and groundhogs can't tell the weather and it's insane. So that, that points to the fact that this is rooted in some old superstition and some pagan custom, which is exactly what it is. So I thought that was fascinating. The... Um, once, Right. So the funny thing is, you're a doctor, you're an educated man, and you're from. So you couldn't even imagine for a second somebody would waste two seconds listening on the radio. The fact are, there are hundreds of millions of Americans who sort of half quarter believe it, and they look at 39%. Okay, you know, we have to improve on that. But they, they, they follow it. They, they want to know what's going on. It's not just like, let's go have a good time, watch a groundhog. I think of more fun things to do. Uh, there are people who, again, they don't believe it, but they're interested in, if you waste a minute even listening for it, and you have even a half a minute that there's something to this, that's already bizarre, and if it's bizarre and it's a Gaisha custom, that would be, uh, that would be an issue. Uh, not much of a struggle or Yetzirah for most people, but uh, fascinating nonetheless. This one actually uh, comes up. Uh, the one who sent that just to give uh, credit for the Maramakam is David Mentor. One of our avid listeners, he says, from the beginning. And the next one is Surreal from St. Louis, who I happen to know personally. Uh, Milwaukee, sorry, not St. Louis. I'm actually going to Milwaukee in a few weeks, so I better get his uh, location right. Uh, and he sent in the following uh, Shaila about throwing coins in a pond. Now, again, this is very bizarre, especially for Yidin. Take a coin and throw it away? <laughs> This is mamish a shot on good Jewish guilt. Why in the world would you want to do that? And we've all seen this. You go to Rockefeller Plaza, I don't know, all of us, whenever, wherever water is flowing, whenever there's a pond, you look inside and there's five million pennies in there. So is that mutter? I had this once with my kids. We walked by and they saw people tossing in and they asked me, can we throw one in? Not even knowing this, my mom, I said, absolutely not. Not because I was worried about the penny. 
can you take it out? Can you go after dark and collect all of them? So that's uh, that's a chil Hashem, yeah. So, uh, but uh, you're just trying to undo the issue of the people who threw it in. So, this is again, you should know by now. Something like this is is already the ma'isa. This is a ma'isa, and this is chukosayim. Without knowing the makaris of the um, of the quotes he's going to bring down, which are a pretty good uh, thorough investigation. This is a classic Isser. They're doing something strange, mighty strange, it's Baltashchis, and they're throwing something in, and they're trying to see a penny's float. Like, well, there's no logical explanation for this. So, just fascinating. We don't need this. It's already Usser, Misofik, once they're doing something strange. Why would you want to copy it? But it's always nice to see the Shalshal Sotavarim, once the guy in the cells want to know where the strange thing come from. So, his question is the throwing coins be also with Chukosayim. So, the idea that drinkable water was sent from the heavens remained even as wells and fountains were built. Water supplies were always hard to come by. It was a, a crucial issue till modern times. And, and towns were built around water supplies and uh, digging the well and then, and then they didn't know how to use the well and then they were contaminated and they had the bubonic plague and they blamed the Jews but the Jews got less sick uh, because they had some hygiene. And um, wells were very important and often they were destroyed and if you had good drinking water and it kept up, you were in, in decent shape. The idea that drinkable water was sent from the heavens remained even as wells and fountains were built. Often a small statue of a god could be found next to early wells and fountains, turning them into a type of shrine. And they have archaeological evidence for this. They were, they were so water was the staff of life and they, had, they needed it and they, they got into superstitions surrounding which god controlled the water and be nice to the gods because you need your water. As you probably already know, presenting gifts to gods is an ancient practice that was usually meant to appease angry gods. And for some reason, in the Greek mythology, the gods were always angry and always fighting. Or to act as a payment for request or prayer. In the case of fountains and wells, people would toss in a coin while sending up a prayer, an early version of making a wish. Which is the same issue of making the wishes over the candles. The candles also had to do with the fire gods and, and these types of things. One rather pro prolific well can be found in England, north Umberland, if you want to go visit to take a look, was used to pray to the Celtic goddess of wells and springs. Her name was, whatever her name was, I don't have to tell Shaila, Shemelu, Machem, Lesoskiu, even though she's not around anymore, but she had a name. They dug up the area. 16,000 coins from different eras of the Roman Empire were found there. 16,000 coins. They had a statue of her, and the people come and they paid their dues and then they got the water. Interestingly, most of the coins found in this fountain were low denominations, much like today where people are usually more willing to part with a five or ten cent coin rather than a full dollar, euro, or pound. Which means that that's really bizarre. If you're going to bring a carbon, the Havdalaf of Dalsukosh Barhu, spend money, be generous. We have a kind of carbon, but carbon is not to appease a Kosh Barhu. It's, it's whatever, it's a, it's a different schmooze, but don't throw in a penny. That's a chutzpah. Throwing a penny? You come to Shachos, you want to give stokka for a schus, you put in a penny or a nickel. But they said most of the denominations were bupkis. People were poor and they wanted to appease the gods, but not that much. So uh, it doesn't have to cost so much money every time you, you, you draw water from the well, which is fascinating. Uh, if we find it, but then mo them are not, they dug this up though. This is, I don't think, I think if this was above ground, it would have been gone by now. So I assume this was uh, trying to study what was going on. Um, from Wikipedia again, which is not Terami Sinai, but uh, often the articles uh, do have X amount of research. Wishing well, all the, it's good when you, all the research goes in one direction, and, and they have here, it's a, it's a no-brainer, they have archaeological evidence for all this. 
Wishing well is a term from European folklore to describe wells where it was thought that any spoken wish would be granted. The idea that a wish would be granted came from the idea that water housed deities or had been placed there as a gift from the gods since water was a source of the life and often a scarce commodity. And he also says, Germanic and Celtic peoples consider springs and well sacred places. Sometimes the places are marked with wooden statues, possibly the gods associated with the pool. Germanic peoples are known to throw armor and weapons of defeated enemies. This is not good for health. Now you can condemn a well, uh, I think you would go in there and tell them. They take right after the bloody battle, they took the armor and everything with all the blood and threw it into the well. That must have done wonders to the water supply. But what did they know? Uh, and they were trying to show this is a defeated enemy, and they threw it into the pools of waters offering to their gods. Water was seen to have healing powers and therefore, healing powers, and therefore wells became popular with any people. Drinking, bathing, or simply just wishing over it. Some people believe the guardians or dwellers of the well would grant them their wish if they paid a price. After uttering the wish, one would generally drop coins in the well. That wish would then be granted by the guardian or dweller based upon how the coin would land. And here's the next one. I don't know if you knew this was coming. Okay, I would have said this part. I'm not ready to ask for flipping a coin heads or tails. It's a good way to end the machlekes. And if it's not weighted, it might be honest. But they held that uh, you would know if your wish would be granted based on whether the coin landed heads up. The guardian of the well would grant the wish, if the wish of the, but the wish of a tails-up coin would be ignored. It was thus potentially lucky to throw coins in the well. It depended how they landed. So um, today I just see people tossing in coins. I don't think you can see that far at the bottom to see heads or tails. So I don't think you have to ask the heads or tails. This is a problem. So next time you're walking in Central Park, if they have one of these, and all the guys are doing it, you can take it for a chinach moment and explain to your children and your family that this is uh, probably Shaila Vanessa Teresa because it's rooted in Avodah The fact that they're doing the shame of Avodah now or they don't know the history is not going to help too much based on uh, many of the riots from this sugya. So I thought that was fascinating as well. We'll go to the next question and we'll start the answer tomorrow. This goes back to Purim. I had uh, one young man of Rumizon, who actually sent him many shilas. And uh, he uh, sent this in a few times in various ways. He can't understand why it's mutter to dress up in cool clothing on Purim or ripped up uh, dungarees and uh, jeans and looking like a bum and a motorcycle gang and the like. Why is this mutter? So why is it us, sir? So he tain is that uh, these people really want to do it all year round. They're just trying to get it out of their system. And if they're trying to look like Goyim and this is their heter, their outlet, maybe we should answer it. Good question. The answer is, the short answer is, that on Perm, the theme is Nahapahu. And uh, we have a long history of dressing up like, uh, dress up like Haman's pretty Goyish also. And, um, and other such uh, type uh, villains. And the fact that you also have a natia or an emotional need to get it out of your system, I'm not pushing the agenda. I'm not saying it's uh, yeshivish, not yeshivish. You don't have to do it. I told them this is certainly if you don't want to do it, we're fine. And you could dress up like Mordechai at Sadiq, a long white beard. But you can't say it's also Dafkan Perm. You remember we mentioned that Akadeh Kachto, Amal quotes, she does it hold even cross-dressing as mother. And that was his next question. Well, how can anybody hold that mutter? Why does it depend on your intent? 
So our pesach is going to say that when it's pouring out and the only thing you have is a rain bonnet and it's muchuch meilov, you're not wearing it to look like a lady, it is mutter. It's an old shaylin and rishayim and achrenim. But on perm, it's even better, according to these shitas, because it's an umdur of the muchuch, you're only doing this for perm. So they hold there's no iser. Mind you, the Mishnah brings down many pesachim that say that that's not true, agabe di la sobush, and one should stay away from it, shaymer nashi yuchak mehem. And I have another reason in the modern times why we should stay away from it is because I've seen. Um, both genders dress up like the other one and it was very not sneistic and the Ramah was not giving a heter for lack of sneist he was talking about a sneistic dressing up like a female from colonial times at Queen Elizabeth or Victoria or something like that uh, and that itself is a machlekes the way it's done today often can end up being pretzistic which wouldn't be mutu even on perm Metzah Shem will continue tomorrow night with some of the other shaylas and we'll see how far we get